On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Genesis Trespass. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory, Tom Corcoran, and Paul Zotter as we continue on in the Genesis catalog covering Trespass. All right, gentlemen, welcome to the Trespass Palaver. 1970. The year oh, of, 1970. Yeah, year you want to hear about 1970. Ken, I would love I got to hear your about 1970. right here, buddy. Do you? <laughs> yes. I but, got all your 1970. But besides <laughs> being the, the birth year of most of the palaver, Tom, you're a year behind, but we love you anyway. Um, what, <laughs> what else happened in 1970, Ken? We love this kind of perspective. It's funny you should ask. Uh, it's also a crime how little we know about some of these bands. Not a nursery crime. No, it's definitely not a nursery crime. Um, we, we could not be held accountable when we were in the nursery, but now we should be held accountable. We're really going to have to catch up on the likes of King Crimson, Vandegraaff, Generator, Gentle Giant, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Sid Barrett, Frank Zappa. We've touched on these and we each have our own little unique things, but in particular, the nice influenced both Genesis and Yes. Soft Machine influenced both Genesis and Yes. In early 1970, Sid Barrett, the Madcap Lights, the Mothers of Invention, Burnt Weenie Sandwich, Vandergraaf Generator, um, Jethro Tull Benefit, uh, King Crimson in the Wake of Poseidon, the Soft Machine, Third, The Nice, Five Bridges. Yes, Time and a Word. So glad we spent so much time on Time and a Word. Super Tramp, Super Tramp. That's mid-year, July. Uh, Mothers of Invention, Weasels Ripped My Flesh. Um, let me see. Caravan, if I could do it all, all over again, I'd do it all over you. I just wanted to say that title. It was fun. Pink That's Floyd. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Pink Floyd, Adam Hart Mother. We all know that one. Then finally, October, Genesis Trespass. Frank Zappa, Chunga's Revenge. Sid Barrett shows up the second time this year with Barrett. ELP has the ELP album. Gentle Giant has a Gentle Giant album. The year just never ends. It's just amazing. And we were all too young to know any of this. Damn right. Now, it's not quite the uh, the hotbed that 1969 was. I guess it was in actually the, the Yes episode where we gushed about the power of 1969. But some very, very powerful stuff there. What we're talking about here is Trespass. As Ken mentioned, it was released in October of 1970. It was produced by John Anthony and released on the Charisma label. Personnel for Trespass included Peter Gabriel on lead vocals, flute, accordion, tambourine, and bass drum. Anthony Phillips playing acoustic 12-string guitar, lead electric guitar, dulcimer, and vocals. Anthony Banks on organ, piano, mellotron, acoustic 12-string guitar and vocals. Michael Rutherford, acoustic 12-string guitar, electric bass guitar, nylon guitar, cello and vocals. And John Mayhew joins the group on drums, percussion and vocals. Track listing. Uh, six tracks on this one. Looking for Someone, White Mountain and Visions of Angels were side one. And side two was Stagnation, Dusk and the ever-classic The Knife. Trespass is the second studio album from the English rock band Genesis. It was released in October 1970 on Charisma Records and is their last album with guitarist Anthony Phillips and their only one with drummer John Mayhew. Genesis turned professional in autumn 1969 and began to rehearse intensely and play live shows. After several months of touring, including a res residency at Ronnie Scott's a club in the heart of Soho, London, they secured a recording contract with Charisma Records and entered Trident Studios in London in July 1970 to record Trespass. The music marked a departure from more pop-oriented songs, as displayed on their first album, From Genesis to Revelation, toward folk-flavored progressive rock. This ranged from light acoustic pieces with multiple 12-string guitars to the heavier live favorite, The Knife. 
The cover was the first of several to be designed by Paul Whitehead, featuring a knife slashed across the cover. Shortly after recording, Phillips decided to leave the group, which almost caused Genesis to split. After discussions, they agreed to carry on, replacing Mayhew with Phil Collins. Trespass was not a major success upon release. It failed to chart in the UK and the US, and it received some mixed reviews from critics. But it was commercially successful in Belgium, which helped sustain the band's career. A reissue briefly charted in the UK Top 100 in 1984. So that, gentlemen, is Trespass. I don't know if you want to delve this deeply, but I did try to figure out when the reissues were made, when it was remastered. Uh, it is a rather dark album. And uh, I think we expressed maybe in the Yes episode that we didn't think that the first two Genesis albums reached the production level of the first two Yes albums. So for me, getting a good copy of it and finding the right version kind of means something now. I find, and having recently listened to the episode on Yes and Time and a Word for editorial purposes, and listening to this and then obviously a couple of weeks ago from Genesis to Revelation, and, and it's difficult because as we talked about on the Genesis to Revelation episode, my more recent vinyl pressing is actually seems to be very, very good uh, versus what's available on Spotify. And, but the, the song quality is not quite there, obviously. What I find with this is that I think I, I'm so refreshed by sort of having that orchestration pulled off and you get to sort of see Genesis as they're, they're meant to be um, that, you know, I, I, I haven't really personally had a whole lot of hangups with the, with the recording, at least, um, on the, the vinyl pressing that I have. I, it looks like I've got a 1970 copy, if I, if I had to guess, looking at this and it, it still sounds pretty good, but, it, you know, thinking about it, I think, I think the first Yes album was produced surprisingly well. The second Yes album, Time and a Word, maybe a little bit less so. Whereas these two are flip-flopped a little bit. Um, and I think the second album, both Trespass and Time and a Word, kind of wind up for me, production level, at a similar place. That's the way I see it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, there's production, but then there's also... I think that really, and you touched upon this in your your intro, Joe. That um, Trespass is really the first album that 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 sounds like Gabriel Genesis. And um, for me, uh, I mean, and you just mentioned this. I mean, they they really came into their sound. So there's the production, and there's I mean, this is really the first progressive rock album. This is like their this is their beginning and it's it, it may not be as good as the albums that, that came after this but it's still their sound that gabriel genesis sound that i i love and i'm i'm so thankful for an album like this that you can really see the metamorphosis uh, between the first album and, and 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 later albums and it's an album for me that you know I, I maybe don't listen to as much as say Foxtrot or you know nursery crime but I when I when I do listen to trespass I do enjoy it it doesn't have that addiction <laughs> that, that some of the other I, albums have that I, I have to listen to I know but it's it's like once I'm listening to it I am I am there putting myself in their shoes, so to speak, and like how they came from the beginning to you know, later albums. And um, I, I really enjoy listening to it. This is a really fun album. When you talk to people or you hear podcasts or whatever about Genesis, even when you look at some of the retrospectives that have been put out, invariably, the catalog officially starts at Trespass. There are two reasons for that. One is Jonathan King still owns the rights to Genesis to Revelation. And two, it just doesn't sound like anything else. So from, from a legal and a, a lineage point of view, 
Trespass really is the start of the show, and I understand why that line of demarcation is there. It, it's so refreshing to to see this, and and I'm with you, Tom. I it's not often that I kind of get a, a burr under my saddle that I'm like, well, I got to put it on Trespass. But having listened to it a lot more recently for this, I find myself enjoying it more. It's fun, sort of unearthing you know, this, this part of Genesis. And ever since I've kind of keyed on this idea that, that Tony Banks drives the whole engine, having him unshackled in here is, <laughs> is really fun for me. So my love hate relationship with early Genesis continues, uh, in both, <laughs> both aspects with mm. trespass. Mm-hmm. I was listening to this and I immediately was like, okay, this is better. All right. I, I you know, I like where we're headed to, but uh, overall, I was just kind of like, eh. After a couple listens, I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna skip on over to Nursery Crimes. So I put Nursery <laughs> Crimes on, and this was, you know, I was Christmas shopping online or doing other things around the house, and Nursery Crimes was just kind of going through me, like it just kind of coming. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know that this is much better. And <laughs> the, way, yeah. the way the way it's lined up on Spotify when Nursery Crime ends trespass begins and so the last song on nursery crimes ends and all of a sudden it starts with a looking for someone and my initial reaction was oh thank goodness a song that i like and i was like <laughs> i was like wait a second <laughs> so from from that point forward I, I really started listening to trespass thinking all right yeah there's um there there is something here so i i get what you're saying and and joe i i joe said something that was quite profound in our one Stephen Wilson episode. He talked about how when you, if you go to an art exhibit and you see, maybe you're going to see an artist's like famous work and along with that work, they'll have all of the preliminary works that they, and, and I think Joe, you used the phrase something like practice the masterpiece. And so I started realizing that i think when i was listening to songs like looking for someone and the knife and started thinking okay like you can hear the 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 train gears starting to roll a little bit here and so uh just from that perspective i really enjoyed listening to this album thinking about the seeds that were being planted well i'm glad looking for someone struck a chord um that's that's definitely one of Peter's unique contributions there. They did have a certain naivety in crediting all songwriting to all parties. We've talked about that before. Like later, yes, got into that. Uh, It's just really interesting to see that they chose to do that. When you pull up the electronic press kit on YouTube, it's abundantly clear that they all had very personal input to this album. And it was said that Peter was tapping into Motown and R&B and, and whatever sounds when he got into uh, looking for someone over and above the uh, 12-string pretty classical stuff that uh, the other guys were contributing. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, and we'll get we'll get to my note when, when we get to the song specifically. But yay, I'm not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, Ken, that interview that you that you uh, posted, and there's three parts of it, and I'll make sure that I put that in the the show notes. Uh, the, what's really kind of struck me in the in that series of interviews, right, is that how much they seem to remember details about recording these. Where sometimes you get bands talking about stuff they did 50 years ago, and they're like, you know, you don't even know whether they they actually remember it or not. But they're really they, – they do all seem to have sort of an intimate belonging to the songs on here. And to your point, it's almost like they're falling all over themselves talking about how the other people in the band were contributing to the songs. And and I, I, it just really impressed me that after all this time – these things seemed really important to even even when they admitted yeah this may not be the best of the of our catalog or the are you know the ones that have lasted with me the longest but they still really felt really deeply connected to these songs which was cool oh absolutely there's there's a story that goes around this particular period in genesis 
And apparently at some point, I don't honestly remember if they had left school or whatnot, but they gained use of the house of a friend of theirs. And all five of them packed themselves into this house and they just started writing songs. What is now infamous sort of acrimony of early Genesis songwriting really came to the forefront. And apparently people would write bits and they'd try to put the bits together and everyone would was so invested in their bit that they'd have these big blowouts over, you know, well, my bit needs, you know, whatever, you know, keep my bit, make my bit longer or whatever. And they would have these, these fights and invariably someone would like leave the house for a while. And then the other guys would be like, Oh, well, let's work on this bit. So I wonder if some of that is all of just the, the raw emotions that they, they had at this time sort of, you know, embedded indelibly all that, that time period in their in their brain because they were they were together almost nonstop doing this apparently and you know to to make light of the situation it was pre nineteen seventy eight so they weren't totally baked out of their minds yet ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe why don't you um, why don't you credit the authors or the titles because I know that you are actually steeped in lore much more than I. You, you, you did your homework for this series. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know that I have all of that, but, but here's, here's something that I can read you that I think is very interesting and sort of speaks to perhaps why all songs are credited to everyone here. Um, so in, in his, in his book, um, The Living Years, Mike speaks to, you know, the, the fact that they didn't necessarily know how to write songs. And he says, long songs might appear clever and hard to write, but for us, they were easy. We would just take bit A and bit D and seg them together. They didn't know any better that they couldn't do that. And he goes on to say, a prime example was looking for someone. It started with Pete's idea and began with just simple piano chords and voice. Such a Pete thing. If I had it now, It'd be a fabulous song as I could make something out of just the first couple of bits. Back then, we rambled on with another eight minutes throwing in bits and pieces. We were determined to prove ourselves. And while Pete always realized that space and a track was important, the idea that less is more was completely alien to the rest of us. <laughs> Members of the Palaver went through that as well. So. <laughs> we had some long-ass shit at one time. Now, this, see this... <clears throat> brings up something I'd like to discuss, and this is this goes beyond trespass. This you could say this about every band that we talk about. The earlier years of some of the bands that we talk about, it's sort of a pet peeve of mine that some people, and we're guilty of this as well, we sort of stick our nose up at some of the earlier stuff, like it's not fleshed out like or that something is sometimes too if it's too long if it's long um it's just it's more immature and dude, some of this have, stuff is not fleshed out <laughs> now are we talking about trespass or are we talking about, all right so just because something is uh, has a longer time stamp and it's an earlier it's earlier in the career is this necessarily something that's wrong or is, is this something that is immature or is it just a, it's a process i mean it, it's well, uh, I, some things are some things go awry when it's like yeah. a long song i mean and and i, I suppose you can't put like a, a lump sum on everything you can't put you know, a big title on, on, on everything. But I, I think Tom, that goes to Joe's, Joe's point that I was talking about where it is raw and maybe immature is not the right. Well, I think immature might be the, the right term for it. Just as I sit across from my 18 year old who thinks he knows exactly what's going on in the world. He doesn't understand the immaturity that he has right now. I'm sure when they were doing their thing, they, they probably thought that they were, you know, unbelievable and at the, at the height of their game. And they probably were, but in the long run, 
it, you can hear how it's raw and how they're still working at it and they're still trying to figure out how to do what they're trying to do. This album came out of touring, that they were on the road, they were performing a lot, and they were really starting to feel sort of their oats as a band performing rather than writing songs and just kind of running into the studio to record it. And I think about how much live performance has changed our perceptions of things over the years. And it would have been, I mean, just imagine, I mean, it would have been really interesting to to hear these pieces, you know, being performed in their day to kind of really capture the, the full essence of the band. Because I, I suspect that what we're hearing on the recording is not the full representation that you would have got if you ever heard them live. I don't know. Right. I, I understand that. And I would probably agree with you a lot if we were, you know, being that we are talking about Trespass uh, in this episode, I, I would agree with you about Trespass. I guess, and I, I don't mean to go off the tracks a little bit, but in a little bit more broader sense, I even heard, you know, in interviews with Rush and when they would talk about uh, how they were, you know, toning down the songs and, oh, well, back in the day, we're, you know, we're not doing the really longer songs and we're, and we're really focusing on our songwriting and, and, but they're almost like throwing their earlier stuff, uh, to, to the dogs. Like, oh, you know, we, we don't do any of that longer song stuff anymore. Um, and it's just like, I guess because I love all this stuff so much and I, I am a big fan of the Gabriel era Genesis. And again, Trespass may not be the best of the this era, but I mean, as we get into uh, Nursery Crime or, or, or Foxtrot or um, England by the Pound, you know, th things like that, I think that is, you know, we are talking in like the best of the best of of an era, and I don't, and although I absolutely love, you know, say Peter Gabriel, Peter Gabriel solo stuff. Um, I don't I still don't look back on these older albums as the redheaded stepchild like, oh, yeah, it's just the earlier stuff, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I really I really love this stuff. I don't know. It's it just it's just interesting because we're, we're talking about progressive rock. Right. So, I mean, this is what we're eating up here. And I, I think that it's just a, it's an interesting metamorphosis that sometimes gets a short end of a stick, depending on um, what what band we're, we're talking about. Yeah, and I'll jump in and say this, Tom. You're right to sling this uh, this idea at me because I've mentioned a couple times not here and in you know Stephen Wilson. When I start at the end of a catalog and try to work my way back, I have a really tough time. I have like the patience of this when it comes to when it comes to some of these older tunes because when I'm thinking, I know what's on Foxtrot, and I, <laughs> I yeah, I'm like, why am I spending time listening to this when I could just go listen to like the sort of the ultimate uh, expression of, of what they're doing here. Why am I spending this time? But one of the things that amazed me about what Peter Gabriel was saying about this interview in, in this album was that they all came at it from the perspective of a songwriter where, you know, they're, they're piecing together these bigger songs and they were looking at it like they were songwriters, not necessarily musicians or band, like a band. They were just guys who are writing songs. And it's amazing what they came up with, with that point of view. Personally, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure where all you're you're coming from here, Tom. I am not in any way, shape, or form diminishing trespass. I I have absolutely tremendous respect and, and love for for what they did here. But I, I will I will draw a comparison with yes, and, and yet you brought it up. So close to the edge, the song came out on what was that? Their fifth album. Yes, undeniably a masterpiece of a song. And then so many years later, they come out with Awaken, also undeniably a masterpiece song. Is it better? Is it more refined? Perhaps. But they're both brilliant. That doesn't, Awaken being brilliant doesn't diminish from close to the edge being brilliant. We throw the word brilliant around pretty haphazardly here <laughs> at the Palaver. Are you <laughs> suggesting that? song uh, that that trespass is is brilliant he, uh, am i no i mean or joe is joe did a knife or any i don't i'm just i'm just curious because no, no, we I'm, haven't gone we haven't gone that far I, I, <laughs> into the record yet I, no i and i'm not saying uh, no i'm not i'm not saying that 
All right. I admittedly take our prog rock albums and loop one tune at a time. Yes, you do. Or, or in my mind, I'm looping just a lyric in my mind. So, so I'm a sampling machine. I jump in. I take the bits that I like. And I kind of mentally leave the rest behind. And that's exactly where I am with Trespass. Sure, there's filler material. But there are some melodies that I will just wait seven minutes for. Totally cool with that. And, and so what are the what are the Ken Gregory samples from Trespass? <laughs> let's just plow into the tunes. <laughs> All right, let's do it. So we open up with looking for someone. And I was so happy, Ken, to hear you talk about, you know, Peter Gabriel and his, his Motown influence because – Listening to this, what struck me forcibly is the fact that while musically it sounds very Genesis-y and proggy and everything else, Peter Gabriel sounds like he's singing Motown. It's exactly what he sounds like. And it's, it, it's, you know, once, once I kind of picked up on that, it was a little disconcerting, but also very, very cool. You know, it's he, all practice for sledgehammer. Is that what it is? Yeah. Because yeah. when you know when he opens up with with just you know <laughs> with with just him in the beginning, it's like there's a character to Peter Gabriel's voice that you just you love, and it, it gives me chills. And to hear that, and you're like, oh, Peter Gabriel, yeah, I love it. And <laughs> and then you know you get into the song, and you're thinking, ah, the beginning of Genesis. This is great. And then you're like, well, wait a second. Why do I have Motown vocals? I don't mind mm. them, but why are they there? So I just thought that was that was really cool. We talk about tracking. So so Ken, you had mentioned Trespass has some great moments and some filler and everything else. I think in terms of tracking, these guys did it right. They opened up with the right song and they finished with the right song. For me, looking for someone, you know, Tony starts to really his flex his muscles here. It's like, you know, it, it's almost and I'm I'm going to project myself onto Tony Banks because I don't know squat about Tony Banks. But it's almost like Tony Banks, you know, said, Jonathan King, F you and your stupid orchestra. This is my show. And away he goes. Having a, a drummer who actually seems to interact with the other musicians, you know, while it's no Phil Collins, it is a market improvement from, from Genesis to Revelation. And you start to get the complex song structure, which we talked about why that is, but you start to get that that feel here. So right out of the gate, they're telling you this album is not from Genesis to Revelation. This is a Genesis album, and this is who we are. I thought it was cool. I just try to close my eyes and imagine seeing this live and what it must have been like with some of the dynamics and some of the tight snare fills. And it must have been really, really fun. What's really interesting, um, John Mayhew actually does some vocals. They say that he gets the short end of the stick, but only because his predecessor was so amazing. But it, it, it bears repeating that um, they had numerous drummers in this period who were, you know, either on deck or actually played with them live. And uh, Mayhew, I suppose, was a bit older than them, jumped in and did an amazing job. And I suppose he could have been a legend of sorts it's just really hard to be a legend in the shadow of phil collins yeah no kidding ask ray wilson about that <laughs> <laughs> apparently john mayhew was apparently a, a good carpenter and built a couple leslie cabinets for tony's organ there's that expression again i was tony's <laughs> organ <laughs> as they would say in archer phrasing any other thoughts on looking for someone I really couldn't put the words together. Song meanings didn't have much. It's a nice preview of, of, of where he's been and where he's going with his, his lyrics. He keeps them a bit unfocused without going full John Anderson. Yeah, yeah and, and we're going to get into that obviously more and more. But, but Peter Gabriel is generally good with – much in the way I – I experienced with Stephen Wilson. I was just thinking about this today. He's able to convey a thought without writing down exactly what that thought is. Fantastic. That's not a skill that I have, but that's a skill that Peter and Stephen have. <laughs> and then we move into the very proggy White Mountain. Based on some of the things that I've heard and read, a lot of these types of songs are generally associated with Tony, I think. Tony is, a, is credited with being somewhat verbose in his lyrics. 
it starts out slow and then it kind of picks up and it becomes sort of proggy in that regard. It's not as strong as the opener, but it's it's certainly a very, very enjoyable song to listen to. It's a good time to mention the uh, 12-string influence. So Mike and Anthony brought in the acoustic guitars, whereas originally the band was uh, influenced by Beatles, Kinks, Beach Boys, Rolling Stones. At this point, they're tapping into uh, Fairport Convention, maybe uh, Procol Harum, and then uh, taking their own folk bent on that. So White Mountain is getting us into that pretty deep territory. I think that's a huge point, Ken. Genesis in the prog world, I mean, they're definitely one of the softer bands. And I think that they have a, a unique texture. And it's because of a lot of the acoustic stuff. You know, sometimes it's more uh, prevalent than others. There's a really rich texture that comes out of Genesis that you don't get with uh, certainly Yes or Rush or a lot of the other prog bands until later. Well, um, until later. I mean, I'm not saying they don't have acoustic guitars. <laughs> Joe just like almost like jumped through the screen. Just about had a heart attack there. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm Steve, saying that. Steve um, Howe is a one-man orchestration machine, but that's a whole different story. Well, as you're saying that, Tom, I'm wondering to myself, we've talked about when Steve Howe joins Yes, he starts adding all of these different instruments. But is there any other band that, first of all, uses the 12-string as extensively as Genesis or layers guitars at this point on top of one another the way that Genesis is doing? If there's one thing about Trespass that you're just like, oh, gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> For me, it's some of the textures that you get from the guitars and it's just like they're it's like they never put the 12 string down sometimes i i yeah. love it well yeah, you know, it's, it, it's, yeah, exactly it's interesting point, yeah. because apparently tony banks would also play the 12 string so you know they they had all different combinations of of who could play it at any one time which was cool there's a, there's a funny story that peter gabriel tells about excuse the pun the, the genesis of his personality as a frontman and filling in space was that in live settings, the guys had a miserable time trying to tune these 12 strings. And so there'd be like five minute gaps while everyone's trying to get the 12 string in tune that he would have to fill. And so he would start, you know, telling his stories and doing what he was doing. But I love the fact mm -hmm. that despite that, they didn't let it deter them. Because again, one, one of the things that, that keeps popping up in the Genesis story in the, in the, early days is they didn't necessarily understand or know what they were doing. No one told them they couldn't and they didn't care anyway. And they just mm -hmm. kept doing what they wanted to do. <laughs> and that is, that is cool. I really, really dig that. It, it actually fits in with their whole <clears throat> persona too, because in some of the, documentaries that I would watch about Genesis, they would say that they actually did not have a great presentation live. Uh, none of them really, I mean, they loved the music, but they didn't, they felt very awkward playing. And they actually at, at several times considered just putting a curtain in front of them and playing behind the curtain in front of people, which it just goes to show it kind of, it's in sync with what Joe was saying almost because when you talk to a band and they say, just put a curtain in front of us so we can play, that's hardcore. You know, that's that's a group of guys who just <laughs> want to play what they want to play and do it. Yeah. And that's so refreshing to hear that in a, sort of a dysfunctional way. Well, and, and think about, you know, when we got into Genesis, you know, in, in the the mid to late 80s, you know, and the whole bombast and, you know, rock stars and huge shows and everything else. And when I read this in, in Mike's book, I, I didn't believe it. But look at the cover of Genesis Live, their first live album. They're all sitting down. They would perform their concerts yeah. sitting down. Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. They're all just sitting in chairs. <laughs> oh, in my research for Genesis, I went to see the you know regional tribute band, Trespass. Absolutely wonderful. Wonderful uh, recreations of the uh, costumes and masks and, and the vibe. But damn, the band's all sitting down. <laughs> so it's 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 period appropriate. 
That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Uh, I don't I, know I, if Peter Gabriel had the same issues that, that Fish had, but I know when I listened to some some Fish interviews, he put the paint on him and all that because he was sort of afraid of the audience, and that was sort of his safety zone. Like, he didn't really have to to deal with with the audience it was his curtain so to speak i guess mm-hmm. really the, the, the makeup so i don't know why peter gabriel uh did a lot of that stuff i mean there's the famous stuff with foxtrot and he comes out with the you know and the fox outfit but you know he had all that stuff and you know early on so i'm wondering if he that was his way of just not dealing with being in the front of the crowd i have not seen anything to suggest that um quite the opposite I think Peter did all of that because Peter wanted attention. Peter seemed very calculated in doing the things that he did with with regard to that. And I think it was all geared toward generating a buzz, if you will. Yeah, but at the same time, you're talking about filling time while the 12 strings are tuning. He was very (laughs) empathetic of what the audience went through listening to, you know, Turgid music, well, in music. Yeah, I, I think, I think Ken has it. At the end of the day, that, that's just how fucking long it takes to do twelve string, and um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's costumes on in the back. What's interesting about that comment, though, you know, Anthony Phillips, who I, I want to say one of the members said that he was the most aggressive guy on stage early on, like he was like really charismatic. He became paralyzed by stage fright by the end of of Trespass, and and in fact, that's a, a big reason why he left the band, because he just didn't like performing anymore. So maybe that has something to do with the 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 curtains and 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 whatnot as well. But I I found that to be remarkable. And the other piece of, about his departure is you know, we're talking about you know the seedlings of all these great things and how some of these songs have just wonderful moments. They credit him with being the best musician of the band. And when he quits, they're, they're thinking of throwing in the towel because they don't think they can carry on. <laughs> and, and so here's the guy who's, who's, based on the other members of the band, is the most musically inclined person in the group, leaves, and the first thing he does is go, God, I suck. I need to go like study music some more before I can do huh. anything else. And 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 he he goes on to do other things. And it it's it's just a fascinating time. This incredible crucible of creativity and just stuff going on and, and what ends up happening. I do think that when you set forth and say, We're just gonna do what we want, we don't give a shit, we're just gonna plow ahead. Anything really is possible, I guess, when it comes to the creative exploits. He does seem like a very genuine guy, Anthony, in his uh, interviews. Incidentally, yes, for sure. And I did a little, I checked him out a little bit. And he, in the late 70s, put out a couple of solo albums produced by none other than friend of the palaver, Rupert Hine. Was that your tidbit, Tom? Did I steal your your tidbit? (laughs) No, but actually, Rupert, uh, we we brought that up in the interview. Uh, Uh, he, he actually talked a lot about uh, the, the, those albums. Cool. <laughs> yeah, he did. Visions of Angels. This, to me, sounds like a holdover of the hippie rock from, from Genesis to Revelation. It's kind of like, oh, we need another song. Let's put this one on there. I remember someone saying that there were some compositional ideas that didn't make it on to from Genesis to Revelation that did weave their way in here. So I think I think you're on to something. It's a good tune. When you say hippie rock, it's a little little too happy hippy dippy. Yeah, the the chorus is just very sing songy. According to the wikis Joe, this is a leftover from Oh, there from you go. Genesis. Revelation. The piano introduction is very welcoming for me I, I, uh, at, at this point in the album, but the rest of it just kind of, eh. I had a note that I, I do like the piano very much. I think it's it's beautiful. I may be retconning all of Genesis at this point, but every time I listen to these things, I'm just looking for Tony Banks and what is Tony doing? And mm. I always see Tony kind of right in my face as the basis of everything. Well, the, there's a crescendo into the chorus in here, which I feel appears in a lot of their material, 
and got even better after Pete left. They really do these long gradient bridge things that slowly propel you like slow motion into the chorus. Yeah. And you get you get that sensation here in Visions of Angels. Yeah. It, it, it's funny you bring that up, Ken, because I've got a note related to that on stagnation once we get there. I think here is where I begin to, and this could be unfair, I suspect that John Mayhew, you know, has a very limited library of drum fills uh, at this <laughs> point. <laughs> well, I mean, for the period, that's what drummers did in a lot of cases, unless you were, you know, I don't know, Ginger Baker, you know, some freak. I guess that's fair, but if anything, it magnifies the brilliance of Bill Bruford when I think about what he was doing, which does make me wonder, Ken. I don't know if you're sitting in a close proximity to the influential ball chart of prog rock, but I'm it's curious. in the other room. <laughs> okay. So at some point in time, we're going to have to examine how big the balls of Genesis are compared to uh, other prog rock. The members. balls of, yes. Yeah, yeah. Which prog has bigger balls? We know. It's a contest. It's always a contest. Ball chart. I like it. Ball chart. Oh, my God. I've got a picture of the ball chart, Tom. I'll show you. But but keep in mind that <laughs> keep in mind that the Beatles recorded their catalog with Ringo Freaking Star. Okay, don't be dogging on Ringo Star. Come on, let's not. That's like a whole other episode altogether. Shit. Are you kidding me? I'm wow. not kidding. Well, I, it just I, seems I, like he's got the same fill. That that's all I was saying. It's, well, like, and, it's the rip, know, rip and snare across the. It's kind of a shuffly thing. So, so there's there's I think there's a reason why John Mayhew ultimately gets replaced. And as you pointed out, living in the shadow of Phil Collins as a drummer, not easy to do. Fair enough. Joe, you brought up. Um, the Beatles, and I swear I was just thinking of an example of the Beatles uh, as a different topic. What absolutely blows my mind, not just with Genesis, but uh, you know, so many other bands in this era, there are so many albums done in such a short period of time. Uh, for Genesis, I mean, they average one a year through the 70s, and they're just there's just magnificent stuff going on here. You know, if you go back to like the Beatles, they've they they did the same thing, and we could have a ton of examples. But um, it's just incredible incredible to me um, when you compare, you know, what's going on now, or even in the last you know twenty years to to what we're talking about. Because Genesis, in particular, I mean, most of their albums were put out in in the seventies, and you know. At, there was, was a lot in the 80s. And then, like, after that, there was, like, you know, two. <laughs> you see it more clearly with Genesis because of the body of work that they put out early on. We can say, well, I like this or I don't like that and we're critical of this. But I mean, if you look at ju just what they're doing, this is just hardcore. Yeah. I mean, this is just, again, this is just, this is what I love about this era. It's a really wonderful time. Sorry, I completely digressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I love the comment, though, Tom. It's so because you're right. Like everybody's playing live all the time. Everybody is working at, at their craft. And I, I don't know if this was the interview that I heard where they said they had been playing live and they had like all these songs that they would they had really refined and figured out live. And they just picked the ones that they thought people liked the best at, from the live show and they recorded those. But, you know, I get the sense when you think about all of these bands, like they're they're just like playing live all the time. And then they they chunk out a, a, like a month and they, you know, take the money that they saved up and they go in and record and they record an album as quickly as they can. And boom, it goes out and then they go right back out to playing again. I mean, it's just they're not dicking around in the studio trying to figure out what songs are going to work best and what's going to what's going to play best with the audience or whatever. They're just like. Here's the best stuff we have right now. Let's just fucking record it and get it out there as quickly as we can. That's what it feels like to me. And well, it, I mean, it is a magical that's how we, Yeah, that's how we assumed bands work when we were growing up. And that's what a lot of bands did do. And that's exactly what Trespass is. But from Genesis to Revelation was like a, a lab workshop. 
And then I, I think what they learned after doing it both ways was that they kind of wanted the best of both worlds. And clearly, you know, by the time Pete left, everything was a little lab workshop writing in the studio. To be fair, they got the hits in the round table, you know, beating up the ideas. But they got the long epics by apparently just playing them live until they were all cohesive and all fleshed out. I would say the difference between Genesis and Yes is Genesis apparently had no Eddie Offord. So they were really legitimately piecing this stuff together, rehearsing it, making it happen, making it fluid, going in and recording it. Whereas Yes was like, yeah, we'll just link a bunch of stuff together and make it cool. <laughs> well, that, Ken, that's, that's an outstanding point because I remember someone in the Yes timeline mentioning they would slice the tape to create close to the edge and then they'd have to figure out how to play it live, which is the exact inverse of what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great, great stuff. Excellent. Yes. Gen- yeah, Genesis had the best of both worlds. Now, Stagnation, as we, I think we just segued accidentally into the next song, is a is a really uh, long involved piece. At, at, apparently, it was longer at some point. <laughs> it, it, it at some point it, it, the wiki's credited as being around thirteen minutes long. There's a very interesting sort of preamble in in the gatefold of the LP for this song. This is the beauty of of having LPs and and one of the problems with digital downloads. And I think someone needs to figure out a way that when you get a digital download, that you get all of the media that goes along with the the music, right? Indeed. So inside the, the gatefold, all of the lyrics are here. And at stagnation, it says to Thomas S. Eiselberg, a very rich man who was wise enough to spend all his fortunes in burying himself many miles beneath the ground as the only surviving member of the human race, he inherited the whole world. And then... <laughs> And then it gives the uh, the lyrics for the song, which is, you know, it's, that's kind of funny and cool. The story like that you just read is, is just inspiring to me. One of the things that is so much fun about going through this, particularly as of late, as I'm listening to Genesis and really getting into Big Big Train, is that everything is about something. And I find listening to Big Big Train, like I go onto their website and I and I research, I try to research every song that I listen to because they're all about something. It does make it more worthwhile. It inspires me to try harder at my own creative exploits to not just be satisfied with throwing some shit on a paper and just not worrying about it, but to really, you know, find something of worth to write about. Kind of like when someone gave you a poem that they thought was was really really cool to write a song about. Exactly. Exactly, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> The music of Stagnation is apparently credited to all members. So I guess there were bits and pieces here as as they sort of wove this together. I like the dynamics on Stagnation. And one of the things that I find interesting is, and, and this isn't surprising given their continued friendship even after Anthony Phillips left the band, but I think it's it's very clear listening to this that Mike Rutherford as a guitarist was obviously influenced by Anthony Phillips. And, you know, when Mike resumes that or, or assumes that role after the departure of Steve Hackett, I think there there are aspects in Stagnation that made me think ahead to three-man Genesis with Mike on guitar. Doesn't it sound like Stagnation could be on Duke? Yeah, exactly. It's just got that powerful yeah. kind of plodding, driving. It's nice stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanna I wanna credit the flute. Oh yeah. Obviously Peter had to be doing something at all times. You know, when the band was just making noise in the rehearsal studio, Peter was on the phone with the clubs or you know, when when it was during the show he had the mask or the makeup or the lights and he always had to be doing something and, and, and they let him bang some tambourines, some drums, and then, you know, ultimately it was the flute that he became known for. I just love the flute melody in Stagnation. I, I love the way that Peter uses the flute. Paul and I talked on this. The, 
the the Genesis method of using the flute versus the Jethro Tull method of using flute, where you know Ian Anderson shreds on the flute like a guitar, whereas Pete is much more melodic and and sort of adding in things. And I really like the way he does that. Not to take anything away from what Ian does because it's amazing. Lyrically, I love anytime Peter Gabriel references water. It, it's some kind of religious sexual experience to him to just think about water. I don't know what's going on there, but I imagine they're playing in, in pubs, taverns, clubs, whatever. I like the dual meaning of I want a drink. It's obvious he's referencing water, but hey, I'm listening to a band in a pub and this guy's saying I want a drink. You know, he's got <laughs> what I consider to be a, a bit of a dual meaning. He really takes me to one of my uh, sampled moments, as we talked about earlier, here with the end. If we look at the, the lyrics that are in that section, I want to sit down, I want to take a drink of water, I want to drink, I want to drink, to make all that dust and dirt from my throat, to wash out the filth that is deep in my guts. Peter Gabriel, and, and there are some times when he perhaps goes too far, but he does have that ability to just sort of cut to the chase and put the unpleasant truth right in your face. Like I said, sometimes he goes too far and we'll talk about erogenous zones when we get to the lamb, but, but, uh, but uh, for yeah. this, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is a nice blend for, yeah. for, for Pete. Tony being kind of the neutral academic arbiter of all that is Genesis still credits this one, at least back in 07, whenever they did the re-release electronic press kit um he said that stagnation was one that he stood by to this day yeah as you were talking about that joe there's sort of a lot of elements when you listen to fish era marillion and even interviews with fish about his inspiration and a, a lot of it does come from peter gabriel some of it with his singing some of it with the showmanship some of it is with the lyrics and you can really see why fish was so inspired by um genesis you could see where he was inspired i should say well and it wasn't just fish apparently the whole band was was sure. on board so when we talk then about the the flute melody i think that leads perfectly into dusk mm. which also i there's there's are you done buddy there's but he's like, hey, dude, <laughs> I got your water right back here. <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> I know we're going to go out. There, there's, a, there's a cool guitar flute section in there that I absolutely love. I just think it's great. So I think for a very long time, I didn't even realize that Dusk was not the last few minutes of stagnation. Really? Not looking at anything while I was listening and maybe listening in, in, in some regard as a, as a passive listener – it almost just seems like the beginning of dusk resolves the, the last part of stagnation and, and just kind of continues on. It's only recent, really, that I realized it was a separate. Song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Perfectly said. That's true. And then we finish up with the all time original Genesis classic, The Knife. Although, interestingly, on the album itself, it is merely credited much in the way of clap as knife. Mm -hmm. At one time, supposedly called The Nice, after the band The Nice? Yes, exactly. I can't imagine why they wanted to change the name. They just wanted a rocker to end the show or end the album. Or... It has that sort of, you know, anthemic feel about it. it. It has, there's a certain amount of anti-establishment, if you will. You know, you want to talk about Marillion influences. Well, here's here's where a lot of Market Square Heroes came from. I prefer music to not have screaming women in it, um, generally speaking. But aside from that, aside from uh, that, this song this song's a lot of fun. I remember listening to the when it really begins to get crazy in the great bass town towards the end, and I kind of remember thinking, you know, it, it it's a very rudimentary sort of rhythm. And I want to say that that was even mentioned in some of the things that I saw on the YouTube's. And I want to say Anthony Phillips maybe even was one of the ones that said that he wanted to get into that more heavier kind of guitar. But, you know, most of the riffs that he came up with were pretty lame. I agree, Joe. It's got that anthemic feel. It definitely would have been killer to see live. And it's a fun way to end the album. And 
gets me excited to listen to what's coming next. I think that the knife in a lot of ways suffers from the fact that it's viewed through the lens of everything that comes after it, right? You know, we know what this group of musicians is capable of. And while this is down the road there, it's not quite there. Like you said, Paul, it, if you want what you're going to get here, why don't you just put in Foxtrot and get it in its fully realized form? I've caught myself wondering this, and there's opportunities probably because isn't there a live album that – Yes. It's Genesis Live, right? Is, or is there one before no, that? It's no, it's Genesis guess, Live. Yeah, so the knife is on there, and I'm and that's Phil Collins and Steve Hackett playing on that that album, right? So right. I foolishly have not gone to listen to that because I've caught myself wondering. I wonder what this would sound like if Phil Collins had played on it. So I guess I can do that. Yeah. I guess had I really been doing my job, I would have done it already, <laughs> and I'd be reporting on it. Now. <laughs> well, we can we can talk about that when when Phil and uh, and Steve join the band. Here again, we've got that. There's a there's a slowed down middle section with uh, now it's the bass and the flute that is totally totally yummy. Definitely adds some gravitas to the song, and then it's great, Paul, that you bring up Anthony Phillips and some of the things that he wanted to do. So he has a little guitar melody leading up to the solo that I just absolutely love in this. It's, you know, I just think it's it's spectacular. And the solo is also very, very nice. I think, you know, as a band, they're really starting to hit their stride here. And the knife in a lot of ways holds up fairly well when you hear it on retrospective collections and whatnot. It doesn't seem completely out of place. Song Facts has a, a blip from Pete where he credits some of his schoolboy rebellious nature combined with the fact that I guess he became vegetarian. So I guess he's he's uh, standing up against uh, soldier violence. He's standing up against animal violence. He's kind of finding his personality in the world. It's a nice preview. You could say that he did the same later in his career. He just toned it down. Toned it down? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Pete didn't really tone it down, but he became maybe a little more targeted if you think of, you know, Biko and, and the causes he was going for at the time. Who knows what century we'll get to Peter Gabriel's solo stuff, but let this is a good opportunity to just really express the level of admiration that I have for Peter Gabriel for taking the platform that he created and really using it to... to forward topics mm -hmm. that he felt were very, very important. And he mm -hmm. didn't shy away from anything. He was very, very active in using that to create positive change where he was able. Peter Gabriel is undeniably an admirable person in the way that he utilizes his, his fame. I think Peter Gabriel is kind of like the David Lee Roth of prog rock. Wow. Okay, you're going to have to explain that. That is, the teaser. that is the teaser for all of the Genesis episodes right there. Well, I, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He is a, <laughs> Too late. a very creative front man um, that is the, the best in the genre of prog rock. I think that Peter Gabriel bringing the creativity and the artistry of the front man position through lyrics, through his stage presence, and everything else, he set the standard in the prog rock world. What's really amazing about that is we've said an awful lot in the last hour and a half, and that's probably the only thing I'm going to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a good save on that one because I really thought I was going to have to uh, you know lose my mind, but but no, I see definitely where you're coming from there. As a total aside, if you're interested, and I can find out exactly where it is, but in I recently came across a late model Henry Rollins spoken word CD where he tells a a Van Halen story that heavily involves David Lee Roth, and it is phenomenally funny. Wow. Yeah. I'll credit both David Lee Roth and Peter Gabriel for being acutely aware that a large percent of the audience cannot focus on instruments for very long, whether it's attention deficit disorder or just pure boredom, they make the live show valuable to those in the audience that are not there for some 
geeky higher purpose. They're you know <laughs> yeah. they're constantly communicating with 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 their audience. Yeah, well said. So, Tom, your your statement, although quite provocative, I can I can definitely get behind it. I definitely hear what you're saying. <laughs> the statement taken out of context is very provocative. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of of trespass, gentlemen, and I think we are now on the the doorstep of really getting this whole thing going. The next album that we will consider is Nursery Crime which will see the introduction of Phil Collins and Steve Hackett, thus thus creating the classic five-man Genesis lineup. And from here, the trajectory is going to head up pretty steeply. Any closing thoughts on Trespass then before we... I love the melodies. I can't get enough of some of these melodies. And I, I will sit the length of the album just to hear the lines. What do you think of the cover? It's got a little bit of a gothic bent. It's got some open space on there. Yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Obviously, the the whole big thing is is the knife there, and and that's yes. So Paul Whitehead had finished this album cover, and then they decided to add the knife, the song, onto the album, and so they they added the the knife slash through the actual picture. Uh, according to those are our listeners calling telling us we've gone over our time limit that's right (laughs) (laughs) the bluish color associated with this album cover is actually an artifact of the lighting under which it was photographed Hmm. yeah I believe that yeah so and how many Rush albums had Shitty exactly. Ass yeah. Color the representation. Pink, the pink rush. It's a problem in the seventies. Get an album cover just right. And the yep. uh, the copper colored caress of steel. That's mm. right. <laughs> I dig the cover. I think it's although it doesn't extol to me the the image of the album. It's I think it's very similar to the album. It's it's very very pretty is probably not the right word, but very pretty, but also raw. Yeah, it is. You know, this this is an interesting thing. We have, generally speaking, not spent a lot of time on album covers. Maybe we should add this to our not that we need any more time sometimes, in our collabs. So, yeah, sometimes we talk about the album. Grace under pressure got fifteen. Yeah, yeah that's true. Okay. So did but, uh, we talked uh, you and Ken did uh, quite a bit on uh, Hold Your Fire. So when it's appropriate, and, I guess maybe we do that. Yeah. I don't know. So gentlemen, thank you very much for <laughs> Uh, joining me on this palaver and I look forward to our next palaver on nursery crime we hope you've enjoyed this conversation on Genesis Trespass we've certainly enjoyed sharing it with you as always we encourage you to reach out to us with your thoughts your comments your feedback and your questions you can reach us on our three forms of social media that would be Twitter Instagram and Facebook we are at Progpala on all of those or search for Progressive Palaver you can also email us our email address is progpala at gmail.com Progressive Palaver is as always available for subscription and download on Apple, Google, and Spotify, and we are hosted on SoundCloud. Until next time, thanks for listening. Now you're sharing your screen. I don't know what just happened.
Joe's sharing a screen, which is pretty fun. I am. It's just it's like just like being at work. How do I not yep. do that? Yeah. Um. Um. <laughs> what did I do here? Joe, you have updates available, by the way. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to do any of that. What the fuck? I fucking well, hate Skype. I can still see you in a little bubble. Yeah, you're in the top see my bubble? Fine. Yeah. I, I don't know what I... Fuck you, Skype. And the, and there, there's like a little plus... Are you on an iPad or a computer? There's a little plus sign. And in that plus there sign, you there you go. Yeah. Jesus, there you go. criminy. You know what's messed up about that? I'm the one who hit the button to share the screen. Oh, uh, really? Oh, was, oh, your, sure. was, it, was it your screen, Joe or Tom? Oh, oh, maybe it was my screen. I was gonna say it didn't look like my screen. Okay. Tom's screen, your screen, we all screen for <laughs> share screen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so 